السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إن الحمد لله إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم وَمَنْ يُطْعِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدَ فَازَ فَوْزًا عَظِيمًا أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة 
Dear brothers and sisters, Hind ibn Abi Hala was the maternal uncle of Sayyiduna Hassan ibn Ali, the grandson of the Prophet and Hind ibn Abi Hala was known as a wasaf, meaning someone who is very skilled at describing the physical features of other people. One day, Sayyiduna Hassan ibn Ali radiallahu anhu asked Hind ibn Abi Hala to describe for him the detailed description of the physical features and the character of his beloved grandfather Sayyiduna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He said, describe him for me in detail so that I may cherish those descriptions. And in this lengthy narration describing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Hind ibn Abi Hala says kana rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mutawasil al-ahzani daim al-fikrati laysat lahu raha he says the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was in a continual state of worry a continual state of worry or we may say pain or anxiety a continual state of worry and always in deep thought and he had no rest that was how he described the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioning these three qualities mutawasil al-ahzan he was in a continual state of worry he was daim al-fikra he was always in deep thought and laysat lahu raha he never had rest dear brothers and sisters Allah Ta'ala tells us about our beloved Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهَ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرَ وَذَكَرَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا Indeed, you have in the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam an uswa hasana, a beautiful model for who? For those who have hope in meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who hope in Allah and the last day, and remember Allah abundantly. He is our uswa, our example. He is our qudwa, he is our exemplar. He is our leader. And we're fond of saying that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is our leader, our example, our exemplar, our model. But what do these things really mean and how are they translated into our daily life what do these things demand of us if we make a claim that claim will be tested anyone who makes a claim will find that claim tested any claim we make needs a dalil what is the proof what is the evidence of the truthfulness of our claim that is what we have to explore dear brothers and sisters Allah Ta'ala also says about our beloved Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
لقد جاءكم رسول من أنفسكم عزيز عليه ما عنتم حريص عليكم بالمؤمنين رؤوف رحيم Certainly there has come to you a messenger from your own selves عزيز عليه ما عنتم It pains him that you should suffer It pains him, it causes him grief that you suffer That you go through hard times حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ He's also eager and keen for what is good for you. بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَؤُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ And towards the believers, he is full of compassion and mercy. Dear brothers and sisters, the Prophet ﷺ is relatable while also being the best of creation, whom none can rival in his character, in His worship and in His goodness. But unfortunately, dear brothers and sisters, some people try to make the Prophet ﷺ more relatable to us by bringing him down to our level, as if they're trying to make him more human, when he is fully human, and he is the best human, and the model human. They try to bring him down thinking that that will make him more relatable. But that does a disservice to the great rank of Rasulullah As they say, Muhammadun bashadun laka bashari bal huwa kal yaquti bayna al-hajari inna ma nisbatuhu bayna al-bashar ka nisbati bayna al-yaquti wal-hajar. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a human, but unlike other humans, he is like a ruby compared to ordinary stones. The comparison between the Prophet ﷺ and other humans is like the comparison between a ruby and ordinary stones. It's a stone. But how does a ruby compare to an ordinary stone? And in trying to make the Prophet ﷺ more relatable, they inadvertently lower his status. Or they describe him with qualities that do not befit his lofty status But the fact is we don't have to lower his status to make him more relatable. We relate to the Prophet in his struggles. We relate to him when we read about his pains, his grief upon losing his children, losing his sons and his daughters, losing his companions. We relate to him when we see his pain and worries for his companions, his worries for the ummah, his worry for you and me. We relate to him when we read about the pain he had when he was rejected by his people. But there is an adab that we have to uphold when speaking about him. In the hadith of Hind ibn Abi Hala, he says that the Prophet ﷺ was mutawasil al-ahzan. He was in a continual state of worry. And some people have read this narration and others like it to say that it means the Prophet ﷺ suffered from depression. They would say from this hadith, he suffered from depression. Even though depression has a clinical definition and it has a cultural connotation and has meanings and applications in our society in this time that do not apply to the state of Rasulullah 
They play a very dangerous game when they seek to make the Prophet ﷺ more relatable by using technical terms, medical terms, and then they apply them to Rasulullah ﷺ. So what does it mean? When he says that the Prophet ﷺ was mutawasil al-ahzan, in a continual state of ahzan, what exactly does that mean? The ulama say, it means that the Prophet ﷺ was in a constant state of contemplation and witnessing the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this was very powerful and very heavy on the blessed soul of Rasulullah They say that he was in a constant state of worry when speaking to his ummah about matters of the hereafter that are gravely important. He was in a constant state of worry speaking about matters of the dunya, the fitan, the trials and tribulations that would come to the ummah and his concern for our worldly and afterworldly condition. The Prophet ﷺ was in a constant state of worry, mutawasil al-ahzan, because of what Allah revealed to him about the realities of this life, the realities of death, the realities of the grave, the realities of the Day of Judgment. That is why he was mutawasil al-ahzan, in a continual state of worry. What would our state be, dear brothers and sisters, if we perceived completely the realities of this life and the realities of the grave and the hereafter? What would our state be if Allah removed the veils and we were able to see what people will suffer in the grave or what they will endure on the day of judgment or what they will endure in the fires of hell? Would we not be in a state of worry? Indeed we would. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was described by Hind ibn Abi Hala as mutawasil al-ahzan in a constant state of worry because also he would sit privately in deep contemplation and reflection and that would fill his blessed heart with haiba and ta'zeem great awe and reverence for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we see something very profound in the seerah. Because though he was mutawasil al-ahzan, filled with this state, whenever he would go in public, he would be seen with a beautiful smile across his blessed face, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in order to welcome others and to bring hearts closer to Islam. One of the companions radiallahu anhu said that from the day he accepted Islam, he never saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam except that he had a smile upon his blessed and beautiful face alayhi salatu wassalam even though he was mutawasil al-ahzan in that state. The Prophet's huzn, that state described in the hadith, his huzn was not depression in the clinical sense. His huzn was not for worldly concerns. His huzn had many reasons, but they all go back to haiba, awe, and concern for the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
It was because of his concern for us. حَارِيسٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَؤُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ And this is how, this is why we see in the Qur'an how time and time again Allah reveals verse after verse after verse giving the tasliyah, the consolation, consoling the heart, comforting the heart of the Prophet ﷺ after receiving the rejection of his people or the plotting of his enemies. He had huzn over those who rejected him and refused to believe in the guidance he brought. Allah Ta'ala says, لَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعٌ نَفْسَكَ أَلَّا يَكُونُوا مُؤْمِنِينَ إِنَّ شَاءَ نُنَزِّلْ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ آيَةً فَظَلَّتْ أَعْنَاقُهُمْ لَهَا خَاضِعِينَ He revealed, perhaps you will destroy yourself with grief because they do not become believers. If we will, we can send down upon them a sign from heaven in which their necks will stay bent in broken humility. Allah Ta'ala here is consoling the Prophet ﷺ because his people refused to believe. He was greatly pained at their refusal and rejection because he had concern for his people. That is because he wanted good for his people that he was hurt by their rejection. And Allah is consoling him by telling him that it is up to Allah Ta'ala to guide them and that his duty is only to convey the message, إِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ أَحْبَبْتِ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَمَا عَلَيْكَ إِلَّا الْبَلَاقِ You do not guide whom you love, but it is Allah who guides whomever He wills. It is only for you to convey the message. The Prophet ﷺ also experienced huzn because of the plotting and trickery of the hypocrites. The munafiqun who pretended to be believers, but who concealed their kufr, their disbelief. Allah Ta'ala revealed, يَا أَيُّهَا الرَّسُولُ لَا يَحْزُنْكَ الَّذِينَ يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْكُفْرِ مِنَ الَّذِينَ قَالُوا آمَنَّ بِأَفْوَاهِهِمْ وَلَمْ تُؤْمِنْ قُلُوبُهُمْ He says, O oh Messenger, He never addressed His beloved by His first name. He always addressed him by Rasul or Nabi or by titles. He says, Ya Rasul, Ya Ayyuhar Rasul, O Messenger, do not be grieved by those who race to disbelief among those who say with their mouths, We believe, while their hearts have not believed. He had huzn because of their plotting and planning and their rejection. The Prophet ﷺ also had husn over the lies and the slanders uttered by his enemies. Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, قَدْ نَعْلَمُوا إِنَّهُ لَيَحْزُنُكَ الَّذِي يَقُولُونَ فَإِنَّهُمْ لَا يُكَذِّبُونَكَ وَلَكِنَّ الظَّالِمِينَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ يَجَحَدُونَ Allah Ta'ala says, We certainly know that you are grieved by what they say. But they are not denying you. Rather, it is the ayat of Allah that they are rejecting. So these verses, dear brothers and sisters, show that the Prophet ﷺ indeed experienced huzn. But is that huzn depression? Is this huzn the same depression that we hear about all around us in society today? The answer is no. 
Because this huzn is pain, is hurt, it's heartache and grief, it's bereavement over loss. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala affirms in the Quran that the Prophet experienced this kind of husn. This husn was experienced by him. Dear brothers and sisters, we must reject this project, this idea of taking mental health diagnoses and projecting them onto the emotions of Rasulullah or his experiences. Because sadness, pain, and grief are affirmed, but depression and melancholy are not affirmed. At least not as what we term today as mental health problems or diagnoses. Now the Prophet did teach us a dua. This dua, he taught us to seek refuge in Allah from eight different things. He taught us to say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan, wal-ajzi wal-kasal, wal-jubni wal-bukhul, wa-dal'iddayni wa-ghalabat al-rijal, wa-fi riwaya wa-qahr al-rijal. He taught us to say, O oh Allah, by all your names, I seek refuge in you from anxiety and hazan, from incapacity and laziness, from cowardice and miserliness, and from the overburdening of debt and the overpowering of men. He's taught us to say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan. Did the Prophet ﷺ seek refuge in hazan and experience it at times? How do we make sense of this? Understand there's a difference between hazan and huzn. Allah Ta'ala affirms huzn for the Prophet ﷺ, but He does not affirm hazan. There is a subtle difference, dear brothers and sisters. Allah Ta'ala protected him from hazan but huzn is a normal human experience. There is a difference. The Prophet ﷺ sought refuge in Allah from hazan, but did not seek refuge in Allah from huzn, because huzn is pain, it's hurt, it's heartache and bereavement at loss. This is a natural part of life. Whereas hazan is depression, it can be great anxiety and despair. It can be melancholy. It can be whatever sadness or grief is so powerful that it preoccupies the soul and becomes debilitating, preventing you from fulfilling your purpose. So there's a subtle difference here between the two words, even though they have the same root. So we learn that the Prophet ﷺ suffered grief and loss and pain. But he did not suffer from depression in the clinical sense. And he taught us to seek refuge in Allah Ta'ala from hazan. That is something we seek refuge in Allah from. And the reason why we ask Allah to protect us from hazan is because hazan weakens the heart and it diminishes our drive and weakens our will. We seek refuge in Allah Ta'ala from hazan because shaitan is happy when a Muslim is suffering from hazan. Allah Ta'ala mentions this in the Qur'an. إِنَّمَا النَّجْوَى مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ لِيَحْزُنَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا 
secretive, private conversations, excluding people purposely, is from shaitan, by which he wishes, by which pe he wants people to feel hazan, those who believe. He wants them to feel hazan. He wants them to feel depressed and deeply saddened and melancholic. When we look in the Qur'an, we also see that whenever the Qur'an mentions hazan, it's always negated. And Allah Ta'ala tells us constantly not to have it. He says, وَلَا تَعِينُوا وَلَا تَحْزَنُوا وَأَنْتُمُ الْأَعْلَوْنُ He says, do not be grieved and saddened. وَلَا تَحْزَنْ عَلَيْهِمْ Do not be grieved over them. And he says about the believers who have iman and taqwa, فَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ Now the Prophet ﷺ, is he not Sayyidul Mu'mineen, the leader of the believers? Here Allah says that no fear shall come upon them, nor shall they have any hazan. Yet the Prophet ﷺ had huzan, he had grief, he suffered pain, bereavement, and loss. So this verse is not negating the normal pain we experience being in the dunya, which is the nature of dunya. It is negating that hazan that can break us, that can debilitate us. So whenever we make dua for protection, whether it's from anxiety or hazan, we have to realize two very important points. We have to realize that we seek refuge in Allah Ta'ala from something that may possibly affect us. We seek Allah's protection from something that might come into our life. That's why we say, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ We seek refuge in Allah from shaitan because it is quite possible that we succumb to his whisperings. So we seek refuge in Allah Ta'ala from him. We seek refuge in Allah Ta'ala from kasr, from laziness, because it can creep up into our life. We seek refuge in Allah Ta'ala from hazan, because that might also come into our life. That's point number one. The second point is that whenever we seek refuge in Allah from something, we don't just leave it to the dua alone. We also take steps. We are proactive in avoiding those things from which we seek protection. We don't just say, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ and go right into the places where shaitan and his minions congregate. We avoid those areas to the best of our ability. We don't just say, I seek refuge in Allah from laziness. We also try to banish laziness from our life. And likewise, we don't just say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan. I seek refuge in you, O Allah, from anxiety and hazan. We also take steps to prevent or to remove or mitigate the effects of anxiety and melancholy in our life. So we occupy our hearts and minds. We occupy our souls and our bodies with what is pleasing to Allah Ta'ala. We seek refuge in Allah from these things. We take proactive steps as well. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to give us a correct understanding of the maqam, the station of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And to remove from us all 
hem and hazan, and to give us a proper understanding of the station of Rasulullah and may he heal all of us from what ails us and heal all of us who are going through any form of grief, pain, sadness, or depression. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. وأفضل الصلاة وأتم التسليم على سيدنا محمد الصادق الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين وبعد Dear brothers and sisters after the day of judgment has transpired and after people have entered their eternal abodes of either Jannah or Jahannam as the believers enter the gardens of Jannah and settle therein, Allah tells us that they will express their great relief and joy being in the eternal abode of the gardens of paradise, where they will experience Allah Ta'ala's eternal pleasure and satisfaction with them. May Allah make us of them. Ameen. Allah tells us that once they've entered Jannah, as the believers settle in the gardens of paradise, He tells us that they will speak to each other and rejoice, and they will also praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Surah Al-Fatir, Allah says that the people of Jannah will say, Alhamdulillahi alladhi adhaba anna al-hazan. They will say, all praise is due to Allah, who has removed from us all hazan, all sadness, all grief. They praise Allah for having removed this from their hearts. Notice in this verse they do not say, Alhamdulillahi adhaba anna al-huzn. They say hazan and not huzn, because hazan is the debilitating sadness that we want to get rid of. Huzn is the natural grief that we experience just by living in this dunya. Just like hunger, just like thirst, there's going to be loss and sadness, and it's completely normal. But they'll say, Alhamdulillah, who removed the hazan from our hearts. And this tells us that it's not a crime or a sin. It doesn't make you a bad Muslim to be depressed, to be filled with grief or melancholy. Because the believers in Jannah will thank Allah for having removed it from their hearts. Which means that when they were in this world, they experienced a lot of that. And some of the early Imams, they considered that kind of emotional grief and sadness a possible virtue. A possible virtue. Insofar as the person is tested with it, and they're patient and they turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the great early Imams, Imam Abu Uthman al-Hiri, who died 298 after Hijrah, he says, Al-Hazan bi kulli wajhin fadilatun wa ziyadatun lil-mu'mini ma lam yakun bisabab ma'asiyah. He says that this form of sadness, whatever form it takes in a person's life, is a virtue and an increase for a believer as long as it's not due to an act of disobedience. 
as long as it's not due to their own sinful lifestyles. What does this mean, dear brothers and sisters? It means that as long as our sadness is not because of our sinfulness, it can be a means of us drawing nearer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, provided we're patient, and provided we stay within the bounds of Allah's guidance. But if that pain comes as a result of our ma'asiyah, disobeying Allah Ta'ala, then it is a form of punishment as well as possible rahmah, mercy, meant to wake us up and to drive us to tawbah. It's a great mercy as well as a punishment. Because Allah Ta'ala, after we sin, may bring into our hearts a state of wahsha, this feeling of isolation and distance, remoteness from Allah Ta'ala, and that state is painful, we don't like it. And so that feeling, we want to get rid of it, and it drives us to seek uns, the opposite. And we get that intimacy and that closeness through tawbah, through returning to Allah Ta'ala. Dear brothers and sisters, when we speak about sadness and depression, and mental health today, we understand that these terms are wrought with controversy because there are many cultural and social assumptions and different meanings assigned to these terms. Mental health discourse in the West is Latin with assumptions and it comes from a very particular worldview that doesn't tend to believe in the existence of a soul that doesn't believe that there's actually a thing called sin and from a worldview that doesn't believe in unseen realities that is the worldview that shapes a lot of the mental health discourse in society today so it's very dangerous to take that discourse and superimpose it over the life of the Prophet ﷺ and the companions and search for equivalent terms and realities where they fit and match together perfectly. It's a very dangerous game. But as Muslims, we understand that there is a virtue in seeking to preserve our health, our physical health and our mental health. Because that is one of the objectives of the Sharia, to preserve the religion, to preserve life, to preserve the intellect and wealth and one's family calls for having good health. It calls for being strong and debilitating diseases and illnesses, physical or mental, can be an obstacle to preserving these things. And very often we acknowledge that the word depression, the way it's used in society today, is often used to describe very normal responses to external or internal stressors. This means that mental health is not just in your head, there's a reality to it. And mental health struggles are intertwined with our bodies, our minds, and our souls. So as Muslims, we should understand that any true diagnosis of mental health has to take into consideration the state of the body, the state of the mind, and the state of the ruh, the state of the soul. Any diagnosis that doesn't even believe in a ruh is going to be short-sighted. 
is not going to give us the full picture of what's going on in our life if we're struggling. And some forms of mental illness, we have to be honest and acknowledge that some forms of mental illness, whether it's depression or melancholy or great anxiety, a lot of them are self-imposed. Oftentimes, depression is a self-imposed problem, meaning it wasn't something that fell out of the sky. It wasn't a disease that we caught from someone sneezing. It is the result of certain lifestyle choices. And the solution, the medicine, is adjusting our lifestyle so that those feelings can possibly go away. Dear brothers and sisters, we recognize that we can get sad, we can get depressed, we can even suffer melancholy. And those things in themselves are not sins. We don't blame people for them. But we also have to be honest. Imam Ibn Qayyim, he mentions in his Madarj al-Sadiqeen that hazan, what we can call depression here, hazan weakens a person and serves no good purpose. What will benefit him, he says, is to get back on the path, to keep going, to push himself on. He says the depressed person is like one who is separated from his travel companions, sitting on the side of the road all sad and depressed and feeling sorry for himself being separated from his companions. He says he's sitting on the side of the road and sitting on the side of the road doesn't help him at all. He says if he knows the road he has to if he knows the road and he has to get up he will encourage himself force himself to get up and get back on the road. And we can add to the words of Ibn Qayyim here and say that if we know someone is depressed and sitting on the side of the road oftentimes the person sitting on the side of the road of depression knows the solution is to get up and keep going but they're lacking that energy, that himma, to even get up in the first place. So if we recognize that in someone else, we know they're not necessarily going to get up right now. What do we have to do? If we recognize it, we have to go to the side of the road, extend our hand, and try to help them get back up. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us healing in our bodies, in our minds, in our souls to heal us from all sicknesses, spiritual, mental, physical, the inward sicknesses and the outward sicknesses. And we ask Allah Ta'ala, Ash-Shafi, the healer, to give us strength and vitality in body, mind and soul. And to have the correct framing of these things that we may struggle with in our life and to see the true model, the true example in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who was mutawasir al-ahzan, da'im al-fikra, the one who was constantly in a state of, of worry and deep concern and pain over his people and what they were going through. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulik. النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا بقدر عظمة ذاتك في كل وقت وحين سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين أقوموا إلى صلاتكم محمد